New on CuriosityStream, uncover engineering secrets from history's greatest masters. From the mysteries of the first man-made waterways to the building techniques of the early Americas, it's ancient engineering. Plus, 40 tons of trucks speeding down the interstate can be a recipe for disaster. See how today's smarter new age big rigs pave the way for safer highways on high-tech trucks. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. I think um, we should uh, we should do some like intro thing again because the other one maybe could be replaced. Well, no, I think it's funny, but uh, just do it again, anyways. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Whenever you're ready. Whenever I'm ready. Last time I did the whole thing. I know, but that I mean, I gave it that punch at the end. You did give it the punch. All right. Hey guys, welcome to the Toronto Real Estate Show. Thanks a lot for watching. Please like, comment, and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Yes, thank you to all of our new subscribers that are about to press the subscribe button now. Ding, ding. Ding. That was good. We're one-shot wonders, buddy. That's all we need. Unbelievable. Dr. Roboto. People are going to know it's a virtual background now because they didn't know before. Because they couldn't tell before. Look at me. I'm on the angle. I've got all kinds of weird shit going on. <laughs> Let's let Daniel Foch. It's Foch. I learned that. Foch. I learn things, you know? Better not to say. It, it, sometimes it's easier. If you don't know. Absolutely. Better to say less. Sometimes saying less is more. It would make for a really entertaining uh, TV. Yeah, to not say anything. Is this even considered TV? There he is. No. Daniel, on mute. How are you? Good. How are you guys? Very good. Good, good morning, sir. I like the, the sweater. He's got merch. Daryl, we're behind. He, we're uh, way we behind. Need, he's got merch. Holy smokes. He's got, okay, he's we'll got merch, a following, viewers. Like We're way behind on this guy. Oh, you guys seem to be doing a pretty good job out there. Oh, you guys seem to be doing a pretty good job out there. Oh, you guys seem to be doing a pretty good job out there. Oh, you guys seem to be doing a pretty good job out there. Thanks. It's recent. It's all recent. It's very recent. But but if you only saw the hard work behind the scenes that we've had to do to get to this point here, holy. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of boots on the ground. Good. Why Good. can't I get rid of this? Okay, this is a very professional show, just so you know. We keep things very professional around here. So, uh, so no swear words? Only fuck and piss are okay. off limits. Yeah, PG-15 PG swear words. Sounds good. Nothing that my, my kid said when he was three is allowable on this show. Okay. So how are you today? Good morning. Welcome to the Toronto Real Estate Show. Our... I'm good. I'm good. Um, I do. Uh, I just wanted to let you guys know I, I have a hard cap uh, around uh, 1045, 1050. Is that cool? Perfect. Yeah, that's good. We're right on time today, so we're good. Yeah, everything good. looks like we're ready to rock. Yeah. Hard cap 1045. I think who's so. The hostage that we got, who's the hostage that we got in the chair today, Daryl? Yes. Why don't you why... do the intro? 
Well, we would like to welcome to the show Daniel Foch. Did I say that right? You did. One of the few. Boom. You see that? That's why, that's why we do research around here. I've been stalking you lately. Yeah, so we have Daniel Foch. He's from Foch Family. Um, they're a brokerage. It seems that you're up in Georgia area. Georgina. Georgina. Keswick. Georgina. Yeah, Georgina. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it used to be it used to be more Keswick, but you know, Keswick was like the butt end of every joke. So the the municipality has been spending a lot of time just making sure that everybody calls it Georgina. Georgina. Yeah, my daughter played hockey in Georgina. It's a nice yeah. place. Love it. Yeah, definitely it's a simple. little hockey town for sure. Oh yeah, big time, big time. They killed us. They killed us. Yeah. So welcome yeah. to the show. We see you on uh, Instagram. We see you all over the place. Uh, you're also part of another company called um, was it Avina? Yeah. Yeah. Where's my notes here? Avina Capital. Thanks. So you are, I guess, one of the the uh founders of this company here you are also no, no. i just uh i work on their team sort of on origination like we do a lot of cross-pollination of deals um so they'll finance a lot of stuff um that i'll bring through on the development side uh, sort of started out working together on on joint venture structure just because they had that that uh, ability within their their ranks and so um that's sort of where i do a lot of my interaction with with the development world so tell us, so let's back up a sec. Tell us, you know, who is Daniel Foch? What do you do? Because your, you know, your summary on your website is interesting. Makes me feel like, you know, you know a lot about development, which gets me really super excited to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I'm a, I'm a real estate broker by trade. Um, and I work a lot in the development space. My brother is a landscape architect. Um, I was raised in a family where, Basically, my mom's been a residential realtor for 30 plus years, and my dad's been selling development land for about the same amount of time. So um, when I started, I, I really was just bouncing back and forth between, you know, helping each of them almost as like an analyst. Uh, so it gave me a lot of exposure to uh, both sides of, of the coin there. Um, I would say this year, I've been really more focused on, on, on residential property just because that's where the money is right now. Um, you know, a lot of the development, I, I would say in the, in the suburbs, development has been good for like infill stuff, a lot of townhouse demand. Um, but on the investment side, things have slowed on the demand. Or like most of my investors are sellers today. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so, I, and I guess, I don't know if I mentioned my brother's a landscape architect as well. So him and I are sort of launching a little bit more of a full service development concept right now, focused on mostly like sites that are regulated by conservation authorities because there's really nobody specializing in that. Um, so you have Toronto Regional Conservation Authority and Lake Simcoe Regional Conservation Authority. And um, basically they regulate what you can develop where the groundwater runs into either of the lakes in the greater Toronto area. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, a, bold, that's a bold uh, mission statement right? <laughs> of all the, of all the uh, people to want to deal with and specialize in, right? Like that's a pretty, uh, yeah. You know, difficult road to go down a lot of the time so you have to be really patient for sure yeah it's a lot of patience and a a lot of it is just like collaboration early on in the game right so um that's sort of why we we decided to go that route with my brother kyle because he's a landscape architect they want they almost want planning that's led by somebody who has an appreciation or understanding for the natural heritage rather than 
uh, a planner who, who sort of assembles that team to do all those studies. Um, and so, you know, reception has been really good. We've been working on quite a few sites lately, ones that I have listed for sale or ones that we, you know, we brought developers in, in the past or, or land assemblies that we've done. Um, and so, yeah, that so far the reception has been really good there. Um, he just left a, a, a larger landscape architecture firm to go out on his own. So we're sort of just scaling that up now. So you want to offer a service to people. So when they say to you, Hey, I'm looking to develop, or maybe I own the land already or whatever it is, you guys will have to be the, the go-to for um, all the logistics of, of getting the approvals, getting severances, getting permits, yeah. all that kind of stuff. For this yeah. specific yeah. type of project where conservation authority is involved. Which yeah. is everywhere. Like we have TRCA all the Oh my you know, you've got God. Like Vitaly. Remember Vitaly's house we talked about? Vitaly's house was across the street from High Park. And then the house was like 150 feet set back. And, you know, conservation was somehow involved in this from High Park on yeah. the other side of the street. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's and they're amazing. gradually expanding their boundaries too, right? And, and sure, what we've noticed, because like we started with secondary plans so we look at suburban secondary plans and, and figure out okay which which areas have the, the greatest opportunity and and the area that we're in georgina would be a good one because you know there's like all these major arterial roads that are dotted with like 70s to 90s built you know raised bungalows and then you put to, to put together four of them you get a, a one acre parcel um and it's in the secondary plan let's say you can build six stories but what we found was that when you go to the municipality to get things pushed through the secondary plan through a zoning bylaw amendment they actually want to know what the conservation authority had to say about the building envelope. So um, we, we were like, why don't we just start there, right? Why don't we just start with the LSRCA and go get the building envelope and then sort of fill that with the density that you're allowed in the secondary plan. So that's, that's sort of how things have been working here. And there's, you got a ton of amazing planning companies in the city, but nobody who really focuses on, on suburban areas. And, and because I'm connected in the acquisition side with that, that type of property it just seemed to work well it was sort of a natural flow there so that's one of the issues that we've got right is is trying to break ground into these areas that are like agricultural near conservation not quite in the green belt like there's this huge yeah. big uh, parcel of land out there that we need to start building on and it's there's a, it's a challenge Very well especially if if covid is is here to stay and this suburbanization of demand is is going to be permanent you know, there's the, one of the reasons I would say that you're seeing price acceleration is because they can't adapt the supply chain quickly enough to meet this demand, right? Like, all right, I here we go. Yeah. Now <laughs> we're talking. Okay. <laughs> supply chain and real estate. Okay. Let's talk about that. So, um, what you're, what you guys are talking about doing is go, you think you're going to be able to speed up the supply chain of product that comes out in these types of situations where conservation is uh, a factor or are yeah, we going to think that's possible at all? Right. But, but, okay, good. Yeah. yeah. Honesty. We like that. That's good. Honesty. You're not going to like reinvent the wheel here right now, but you're going to carve out a little part of the market for yourselves. Cause I mean, there's obviously a need for that. Nobody knows what the hell they're doing. You design a building and then next thing you know, you're talking about drip lines and they're fucking up your whole building. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, like if you get the list of, uh, of the studies required to develop a piece of property in the floodplain, as an example, like, you know, you're, it, it, first of all, it's going to take you two to three weeks to get a meeting to get that, that list. Um, and, and then you've got to go through all of those studies, et cetera. And, and at the end of the day, you don't even really know if it's allowable. 
um, you know, then you've got multiple rounds of comments, et cetera. So the, there's an increasing list of challenges that, that obstruct developers in the suburban environment right now. In Toronto, it's sort of clear. It's like, okay, as long as you're going at least relatively within the secondary plan and you've got a good planner and architect who knows what they're looking at, it, it, you're, there's a critical path that you can follow or, or envision that'll happen. And, and you, it's just sort of the timeline that becomes arbitrary because they have a lot of applications. So processing time is a, is a while. In, in smaller municipalities, like your every new project, every increase in density or whatever it is, is a new precedent, right? Like, you know, if you look at Newmarket, Davis Drive as an example, like every new tower that goes up is, is bigger than the last one. And so they're breaking ground to accomplish that project. That's a great segue into this article that came out this week about Mississauga's new 67-story condo. Yeah. Mississauga, they're putting in an application. This is the Rogers uh, property. For, for a 67... Yeah. You know how many places in downtown Toronto you could not even dream about getting a 67-story tower? Now, can maybe you can make sense of that for me because you seem to know about planning. Um, how is it that, you know, we're getting six and nine and 12 story buildings in these little outskirt areas that have a go station, but in downtown Toronto, if you're at like Bathurst and Richmond, you're getting maybe 15 stories. How does, does that make sense to anybody? Well, I think you would, if you were to look at almost like the very top of it, right? So like there's the places to grow act and that flows through in, into municipal secondary plans. I, I honestly don't do a ton of work in Mississauga, so I, I might not be the most qualified person to talk about exactly how that, that happened, but it could also just be an application and, and sort of a PR, uh, you know, element that, that maybe ultimately they're proposing something that is above and beyond what's allowable within the secondary plan. For sure they are, but they're, it's not like they're going to get eight stories when they go for no, 67. Exactly. So you'll often see these applications that are big, right? That in hopes that eventually it goes to the OMB. If they're outside of the secondary plan, you're almost guaranteed to go to the OMB. Uh, and if you have the money, and, and again, like you almost get the loftier applications because if somebody's like, I know I'm gonna end up at the OMB anyway, I know I'm gonna be spending a ton of money, I might as well go big. So that when it gets knocked down, it's worth all of that extra capital that I had put in to go to the OMB, right? So who's building up in, in Georgina? Is it like uh, DeGasparis and Musso and like gigantic players that can like sit on the land and wait to get whatever they want on it? Or There's is a lot it of that? I would say in your, your at grade uh, detached or, or townhouse sites, there's a lot of that. Um, a lot of the, the bigger, older players that have been optioning land, you know, walking up and down these, these old, uh, original concession lots, it, it, you know, 20, 30 years ago and buying stuff off of farmers or paying the manual options for farmers. Um, anything sizable is, is that, um, so, you know, Simcoe landing would be the southernmost site and, and you know, you see it in, in Newmarket, Aurora, um, East school and Mary as well. Um, but the stuff that I would say that that's, that's meaningful and that's going to be able to respond to, to de the demand that we're seeing right now, um, which is, you know, a lot of it's more affordable stuff, right? So you're like towns, stack towns, you know, your kind of price floor product. That is is infill development. And that's sort of where we decided to carve out our niche in, in the development space was focusing on, on small cap 
investors and developers who want to assemble land um, and have the cash to push through a small project. So basically, you know, what that entails is we'll just take a look at the, the three markets that we represent. So Georgina, um, East Guillemaria and Newmarket, and we'll put together a, we do a little bit of stuff in Aurora. Um, we'll put together basically a package of every single site in town or every single potential assembly that makes sense. We'll approach the owners and then we'll get an understanding for what density you could get on that site within just within the secondary plan. So you're almost selling it based on, because the secondary plan can't really be rejected by the municipality. That's like provincial level policy. It, you just have to pay the fees and go through the processes and studies to figure out how to fit that th those guidelines into the site that you're that you're purchasing. So who's buying all this new product up in Georgina? Are we have is it millennials? Is it older people retiring? What's the story up there? I, I think it's a lot of the the smaller cap developers that have just been sort of pushed out of the GTA and still ha either they have a small shop that they want to keep running, or you know they're they're new in the space and and wanted to get a meaningful project. A lot of guys that are stepping up from maybe custom builds into and want to get to that sort of mid-rise scale. Um, that's what's happening in, in sub the suburban development space right now. Uh, Cause you know, it's your, the, the land cost per buildable square foot is low. How much, how much, how much? You're like 30 bucks, 20 to, well, tw actually in Georgina, you're probably 30 bucks a buildable. Aurora, you're probably, I don't know, maybe like 40 to 60. A buildable, and that's that's like unzoned, right? So that's raw land. Um, and that's to build like mid-rise kind of product, or to build low-rise. Yeah, that would be mid-rise. Yeah, that would be mid-rise. Low-rise, it, it varies, honestly. Like you know, uh, I think site plan approved, you're probably two hundred. You know, two hundred a door would be like that's for sort of your your towns. Um, that would kind of be your cap. Um, and that's sort of the more popular product. Like I have every, every developer that Hold I Hold on. Is that $200,000 per door zoned? Yeah. Okay. That's sort of your land cost there. And so what does that house sell for once it's built? I guess it would, de it would depend on the market, but if you're, you know, if you're like Aurora, um, you're probably a million dollar town, right? More if you're a, you know, like a three story town, um, uh, maybe a million, a million to a million three, again, depending on lot location. Um, so Georgina, how you're probably, probably a, a low sevens townhouse. And both of those are 200 bucks a foot zone. No, Georgina, sorry, 200, uh, would be like sort of the cap there. Uh, Georgina, you'd see, I mean, even like some of the stuff we were working on one in Ajax, you're like 120, right? 150 bucks a door. Um, it, it really varies. Um, you were saying then, then, this year most of the investors are selling. So have you, have you seen that guys are being more attracted to those markets right now to buy these projects over the last yeah, year? Yeah, I would say like a lot the of prices now are a lot higher for, for, for sure. Yeah, like like the especially I would say like your fringe GTA stuff, price floor markets. You know, Georgina Durham. Like I'm sure you guys have seen the stats from Durham. Like Durham's still on fire because it's a price floor market, right? Like it's it's a lot of either. I think I would say it's like boomers who are moving out of the city and then young people who are moving out of the city, both of whom are expediting their, their plans um, either for retirement or, or household formation. Those are the people moving into, into suburban areas. Right. So uh, are the developers saying though, like we feel like those prices are going to be sustained. So even though it's going to take three years to get this project done, it makes sense. And I, and I want to buy today and yeah. get the prices in a few years from now. 
Yeah. Good. I mean, that's the op- like, optimism in the market from those guys. I would say so. Like, that's the only type of person who can compete against, like, a, a developer is really the only person who can rationalize paying as high as end users are right now. Like, an investor can't. Like, you know, we were, I was selling a bunch of our, our investors multiplexes over, you know, the beginning of the year. And now they're just like stagnant. Like you can't find somebody to buy a, a multiplex because the caps are like, who wants to buy in, in the suburban GTA at a, at a two, five or three cap. Right. But based on an end user price, that's there's, where there's people, at. yeah, there's people doing it. Yeah. yeah, there are for sure. Just not yeah. my clients, I guess. Cause I, I, I'm pretty honest about whether or not something's a good investment. So I don't probably don't attract two cap investors. just the way that the market is yeah i hope i hope you don't well listen i mean you you have to do something to attract those kind of people i mean you have to start thinking about longer i guess terms on that property right so now you're going to start pricing in appreciation which is bullshit because you don't know which way it's going to go right Right. Mm -hmm. to make it make sense today so you have to say okay either you're putting in like 70 percent down yeah. Right. Or you're going to go 30 percent. But like by year eight, this thing's going to sing. Right. <laughs> We're going to get our well, money. Maybe. <laughs> like, Hopefully. Hold on. Maybe. OK, Dan. So we've been putting this to most of our guests lately. And maybe you have the answer because nobody seems to know what the hell is going on in this real estate market. So we've got all kinds of stuff, Toronto condo markets heating up. We got we're talking about affordable housing like I mean. You're talking like Georgina's affordable, but you you just said like seven fifty for a townhouse, right? That's a, yeah. that's not so affordable. Uh, we got so so one of the things I really wanted to touch on today, especially, is the fact that we've got all the banks kind of pushing and pulling in different directions in the news right now. People are calling for you know government intervention to cool down this market, and people are calling for you know them to stay the hell out of the way and maybe let the market do its thing. So um, maybe you can help unmuddy these waters because nobody knows what the hell. I mean, I guess that's why investors aren't buying two and a half caps also because they don't know which way things are going, right? I think that, that you know, the risk tolerance of, of investors is, is just lower than, than your end users, right? Like end users, no matter how you think about it, like, ultimately buying a house is committing to a liability, right? You're, you're, you're getting a savings vehicle and it's, it's, it's leveraged and the, the interest, the capital cost is really low, but as an investor, your capital cost is a function of the business that you're running, right? And the business that you're running is a place that pays rent. Um, so for, for somebody like that, like the risk, if you're buying something that's cash negative, or if you have to put so much equity in to make the numbers make sense, it doesn't really make that much sense in an, in an environment that is so inflationary and that looks like there's a lot of risk on the other side of it, right? But for an end user, you have probably the opportunity cost of currently renting. So instantly, if you purchase a property, you save that, right? Then you're thinking about the opportunity cost of interest. If you wait a year or two years and, and rates are higher, okay, now you've saved yourself, let's say, ten dollars to $20,000 at current prices in just interest over the first couple of years. So end users, it's a lot easier for them to rationalize, right? Whereas investors, I think, like they're, I, most of them would say, it, doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. It's not a compelling investment in, in today's market. Because of the length of the term of their view? 
Well, no, just because the numbers on the on the acquisition don't make they, it. They don't have control of their income, right? End users, they know, okay, I got this job. I'm working as a teacher. I'm making $70,000 for the next 20 years. I can afford this mortgage. But the I can- market goes up or down. I know I can pay that bill. What's my monthly payment? The market's not really as much of their concern, but the investors, it's like, okay, I got all these tenants. They need to be paying their rent. If I'm already negative cash flowing and then they stop paying, like there's just a lot more risk. That's well, it's out of your control. The landlord and tenant board is backed up like crazy. Like, you know, I've seen a number of, of closings delayed by tenants failing to vacate, et cetera. So, you know, there's no recourse for landlords either, right? Like there's just so many different question marks that you can't really erase with the current legislative environment that I think most people have just said, you know what, I'm just going to wait and see what happens. And if it continues to inflate, then whatever, I'll have to go find somewhere better to put my money. But like, you know, it's not, it's not extremely compelling to, to investors to buy in, in the current market. Okay. So you yeah, just said, I like, like what he said there though. I like if, if, if it continues if, to, in, if it <laughs> continues to <laughs> inflate. So hang on a sec. We caught, we caught that. We Both caught of that. us caught that. So hold on a sec. We're, we're in a bubble. We know that, but does it have to deflate? I mean, will it continue? Will it deflate? Like, hold on right? a sec. Didn't the States just announce a $2 trillion stimulus plan? Now I know when things are going shit, like they say, when the United States sneezes, Canada catches a cold. So, I mean, if they're on fire and are fully stimulated, don't we get some of that runoff too? On top of all the wonderful prospects we have coming down the pipe here? Yeah, I would, I would argue that that would be the case. But I guess it depends on what, you know, what's, let's say stimulus is, it is going to have the greatest magnitude, right? Or like, what? so what, what component of the economy is going to have the greatest magnitude? So like, what are you worried about? Are you worried uh, about I'm, something right now? Not really. Like, I, I think that I would be surprised if we saw a massive correction, but I do, I think the market's already finding an equilibrium and, and at least in, in the suburbs, I think that people have sort of tapped out and said, you know what, these prices are unacceptable. A lot of buyers are, have, have capitulated. A lot of them have gone back to urban product as a, as a fair replacement. So on the micro, you're just seeing like, you know, sort of a reurbanization of demand back into Toronto, which is a good thing. I think that that's how the city should function. People should make exchanges between the suburbs and, and urban area. So we are seeing that, right? Like I, I saw a few posts on Twitter saying that, you know, multiple offers don't feel the same anymore. And, uh, yeah, for sure. Like Slowing down only, a little. Well, for sure. Like I would say you're, you're, you're seeing a decrease from like, you know, 20 offers to, to like four or five a property on, on, and that's on underpriced product, right? Like, um, and then, you know, the market price product, like you're starting to see, I've seen a number of SBP conditions lately. Like, you know, I, I, I've seen a lot of conditional sales. It's okay. definitely not. Conditional sales accepted. Yeah, man. What? And, you know, what? Right? Where's this? Let's make 18 uh, of them oh, today. The yeah, I've seen stuff in Newmarket. Uh, Accepted conditional sales? Have you seen a lot of people raising their prices after the offer date didn't work? Yeah, that's a good one. I like that one. Yeah. yeah that yesterday, one you... yesterday, my partner was in 18 offers in Bethany, Ontario. And yeah. didn't sell it? $78,000 over asking. Did sell it. Okay. Yeah, so, so I think that's still, still happening. Where's that? Where was that? Bethany's up Highway 35 area. Bethany? Yeah. Where the hell is Bethany? Who's exactly. moving to Bethany? 18 people. Should I, should I pull up a map? Only Did, one, though. Comment down below if you know where the hell Bethany is. Yeah. Send me the directions. <laughs> nice yeah, nice place. Water? Any water? 
No, not really. No, no water, but a nice place. What's nice about Bethany? Farm? They got that Buddhist temple I was talking about last week. Temple? <laughs> yeah, and they got a liquor store. Well, hello. I mean, isn't that a <laughs> that's prerequisite? Really Businesses that's open right now, so it's really all you need. They're 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 definitely definitely a necessity. That's like the number one thing that they have to find the place for the liquor store if they're starting a new town. So you build the town around it. Yeah. Obviously, I mean that, and I guess now a, a pot shop. I I have a question though for Dan because I know we're we're short on time today. I heard in the rumblings in the city here that parts of York Region, a lot of the rural residential properties, they want to convert to agricultural to protect some of the development that, <laughs> that is going on. Where is that true or is that uh, rumors? So you're saying that uh, like I I would say definitely we're seeing like small municipalities trying to I, I've seen towns literally trying to take properties that are within the urban boundary like so i think what you're talking about rural would be outside of the urban boundary right but within the urban boundary trying to convert things to ep or not not ag but to environmentally protected sites right which is like it's it's actually i think it's a direct violation of sort of like the the agreement that happens between the the municipality and the province and the places to grow act right it's like whatever is in the urban boundary the reason that we came up with secondary plans is so the, the province directs the town to say, this is how much density you need to get on all of these sites. And if we calculate, okay, you know, all of the entire landmass of all of the sites that we've put into the secondary plan, and you need to get 40,000 people into this town in the next 10 years, here's the units per net residential hectare that you need. So like, that's basically the density, how many units per, per hectare of land to accomplish that goal, right? So if you're taking a property out of the EP or out of the, the official plan or the secondary plan and make it zoning at EP, all of a sudden you've just, and like this, one of the sites that I have an example of that would be like four acres, right? That's four acres worth of units. That's never going to hit the market if you do that. So you're yeah, I can say down. Exactly. Well, yeah. So then you have to go put that somewhere else, but then based on the calculations that the province laid out for the municipality, you'd have to revise those those calculations right so so we keep talking about secondary plans and i mean most people don't even know what the hell that is but if you do know what that is i think you know that most of them are like super out to date right yeah like so i think they have to update them every five years so georgina's right now actually is is in the process of being updated my brother's on the the team that reviews that with the, the planning partnership um, and so, yeah, they basically re-inventory all of the land, check all of the, the goals that they've accomplished in the past period of time, um, and, and how far they've come to meeting those places to grow act targets. Cause that ultimately translates to like infrastructure spending, you know, government, like allocation of, of provincial funds or regional funds so that municipalities can continue. Right. And, and I think like, if you look at a place like Newmarket Aurora, maybe they'd be doing a better job. Or if you look at a place like Mississauga, Mississauga. And, you know, Oakville, those are places that are really, really doing a great job with their secondary plans. York region, not so much, right? No, I mean, uh, even North York, I, I worked on a site at Bayview and Shepherd that had a secondary plan from 2003 or 2006 in place as they were building that Shepherd line out to Bayview, right? And and the site in the secondary plan specifically called for like two point four times density yeah. on on a crazy gigantic site, right? And, and so so I mean, you can't you can't use that. It's right beside a subway station, right? It, it completely contradicts the places to grow act, right? Because yeah, doesn't it say that. within a certain distance from a subway or a major transit node like a go station, you get even more density? 
Yeah. So there are, and, and like, that's sort of the, where the planner would come in and say like, okay, yeah, here, you know, this layer of policy is actually should, or should be more important than, you know, that, that secondary plan, because there's, like you said, transit focused development, et cetera. Cause like, you know, if you're putting, if you have a one acre site and you're going like in North York, you're getting a, you know, a 90% or hundred percent lot coverage ratio, close to hundred percent lot coverage ratio. If you go to a 2.5 FSI, you've got a two and a half story building at that lot coverage ratio, right. Or five stories at 50%. Like it's like that, that's not, that's not good development, but I, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's just because it's all legalistic and it's all done by the intellectual community. It takes a really long time for these guys to get policy through. Right. Like, and, and that's, that's kind of the challenge. And I, I think that there's merit to that. Like it, the province should be sitting with small municipalities and understanding the character of the area. So the development fits it all properly, but it's not exceptionally practical. And, and I think that you've choked up the supply pipeline so badly that like this is it, it's it obviously not i don't think a supply-based solution will ever solve housing affordability in canada but it's certainly not going to 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 cause more problems to expedite development right so you're of the camp that it is not the answer to the problem take remove the problem so big that it's only going to put a dent in it right there's no there's no one answer to the problem yeah. There's no one answer. Okay, let's go down this rabbit hole. What other problems do we face currently in this real estate well, market now? What other solutions are there? What other well, hold on. Let's hear there? the problems first. Don't be so positive. Let's hear the problem first and then the, the solution. There, not enough places to go around. There's tons of demand. Everyone's that's a buying. supply Price, issue, but he said that's not it. being driven up. Yeah, I think that. I think you've got low wages. But what about the greedy developers? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say developers are all that greedy, honestly. What about those greedy developers? Isn't it them? Impact the margin of an average development, like you know, guys are maybe making like a thirty-three percent IRR over over three years, so they're making like you know seven to eleven percent a year. It's like, is that you can go make that in the stock market, right? Or you just buy a house and you know lever up, and you're making it like in in a month. <laughs> These days, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's, I like, I think the greedy developers thing is hilarious. Cause like, you know, it, you hear it from Toronto politicians who had no objection to increasing development charges by 110% a couple of years ago. Right. It's like, well, you guys are getting yours too. And I, I think I mentioned that on Twitter yesterday. It was like, you know, if, if these guys care so much about housing affordability, then make, and, and you want to, and you want to increase the supply pipeline, make housing more accessible for the, those who are marginalized. So maybe if you, if you're a first time home buyer, or if it's going to be a principal residence, you get a, a rebate on development charges, right? Because they know if they reduce that back to what it was, the developers aren't going to capitalize it into the cost structure for owners. But you could give that rebate to owners similar to land transfer tax, right? Hmm. Right hmm. now, they're all getting villainized with the 413, right? Now that's the new the new target is who owns all the land around the proposed 4, 413 uh, highway, right? Yeah. It's like this developer, that developer, his friend, uh, yeah. right? So I get it, you know, and I'm part of the non-development group. So we look at the developers always as hundreds of millions of dollars in their pockets and they yeah. must be, you know, taking everybody to, uh, to the cleaners, but uh, it's not that easy, right? Well, the money has to be put it, up too. It's interesting too like if you just look at Canada as a whole right like we have this like every industry in, in our country has evolved to be very oligopolistic right so like you have a, a bank oligopoly you have a telecom oligopoly and I would say that development especially services and and 
you know, utilities infrastructure is a very oligopolistic market. You know, you name dropped a couple of guys who own massive pieces of land and they also service a lot of that land. And so I would say that they're probably more in control of, of where supply goes than, than the government. And I actually have no objection to that. I think that's a good thing because they are probably a lot better at making those decisions. So I don't, I don't know if I, like, I think that, 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 that capitalistic bullying that's probably happening is actually probably a good thing, right? Uh, with regards to the direction of where the the development is spreading out to, yeah, which is basically their land, their land and their their company servicing them. Right? But they didn't like, buy that land because they didn't think things could kind of like follow a natural pro like path towards them. I would imagine. I don't think they bought it thinking that they maybe they did buy it thinking they could manipulate the system into coming towards them. What are your I thoughts? Was, I don't even know if it was a manipulation. I think like if you just follow logical growth paths, right. Of like, okay. Yeah. Like that, that's the direction of the highway 404. So eventually it's probably going to reach there. Right. And then if you unpack, like, even if you just go through and read the places to grow act policy and make the assumption that all of those targets are met, you could go and pick exceptionally good areas to invest in real estate today, right? But not no and nobody goes and says, I think this completely barren away from everything parcel of land is going to be the best thing in the world. Maybe they do. I guess you buy a big piece and hope sure. fifty years Absolutely. down the road it's gonna be like a winner. Yeah, uh, those guys are generating. And I guess those guys fired. Yeah, and those guys can kinda like line a few pockets and get things to come out the way they want. Even if it's not like collusion, I, I don't even know. Like, how could I, I think it not it just... be? It's almost designed for there to be collusion. For sure. Like, I, I think that it wouldn't surprise me if there was. And, and I think that, it, you know, there's been a lot of indication that there has been like, it's not, it's not hard to, to find information that alludes to that being the case. But I, I also think the reality is like, you know, if you assume that we have like this, this land scarcity or, or the green milk sort of pushes development in certain directions, like, things have to eventually expand out there. And if these guys are buying on a, on a, and a lot of it's just inventory and scale, right? So they're buying based on like, they're like, okay, uh, you know, maybe we got a couple of pieces of property in Vaughn and then they developed those 20 years ago. It's like, well, where are we going to go next after that? Right. Is it more likely, should we buy something further out in Vaughn or in King where, you know, the service pipeline is or like the, you know, the municipal services is, 20 kilometers away or should we go get a bigger tract of land right on the just outside of the urban boundary of you know Bradford or Innisfil or you know how and, many and people are there in that game it doesn't seem to be like yeah crazy. it's gotta be a really that's what I'm saying right it's tiny. evolved to be a legalistic game like mm. land banking is very much that way yes and and, and then when they when it but it, it's even if it's not like if you just think about just the economics of it if it's not collusion, which again, it wouldn't surprise me if there was, but if it, if it was just the economics, it, if you want to get a piece of property put into the official plan, it doesn't make sense. Like when, when it's next up for review or whenever the municipality runs out of residential land or whatever, you, you could do that with a small infill site, one acre, and it's going to cost you the same amount of money as it would for 200 acres that you can build a massive master plan community with thousands of dwellings on. So the economics just make way more sense for you to buy that piece of land, pay the capital costs and the taxes for the, that period of time, and eventually get a massive piece pulled in rather than a small one. And, and it gives you the buying power when you go to the municipality and they're like, shit, we have to get a ton of units online in the next X period of time. 
and it's like, should we go and approach, or should we go and talk to these 10 small cap owners, or should we just go to that one big guy? Cause we know he can do it. He has the ability to execute it in house, right? These are fully integrated companies. It's simplicity, right? They've designed themselves to be perfectly approachable by municipalities. Like they do the, ta- the town's job better than the town. They have in-house planners, they have in-house servicing engineers, et cetera. They can solve all the problems. So yeah. they yeah. figured out. The town has, has to go to them almost for like the answer. Yeah. For let, sure. They are the resources answer. aren't there. Yeah. For sure. Let us know it's when you guys are ready for us. We're ready to go whenever you are. Like we've got. A boat. For a small town, it's so, a blessing so. to get one of those guys to buy in your, in your area. But that would yes, that yes, that would yes lead no. to yes or no are MZO is the the answer that they're using to to make all these decisions. I don't even know what that is. Sorry. The municipal zoning orders that the province has, where they come in and they say, "Well, we're going to be able to just push aside all this legislation and protective land to free up conservatory." Space. What? So it's actually interesting because, from my perspective, I haven't seen much of that, at least where I am, and I know that there was. I think that there was an attempted at pickering. One and yeah, there, I, I know there was a couple there and then, but I actually was in sort of like the Greenbelt review process at King Township. It was almost 10 years ago, because I think the next one's coming up uh, every 10 years. And, and I was sort of in the support process of pulling a couple of pieces of land out of the Greenbelt for, that were right, they were strategically located on the highway there. Um, and like I worked in the municipal government and that's sort of where I got, you know, my, my start in nice. understanding development at least. But I think that the good stuff is happening in almost like a more collaborative approach, right? So you have a municipality that'll just like, I think that there's a lot more conversation and like teamwork that happens behind the scenes that then, than people would anticipate. Like, it's not, it's not except it's not like you, you can just bribe or pay to accomplish a lot of goals. And I would imagine that's a channel, but I think that there are traditional and, and, and real channels that are happening as well. Right. Sure. So you don't feel like the government making those decisions on their own is going to be a good thing for development? Do you think that it should be collaborated between the developers, the municipality, the province, the community, everybody? Well, for sure, because I think that municipalities don't really understand the economics of, of, of development. And those things change every day, right? It's like, you know, right now we're in the secondary plan review plot process in, in Georgina, and they want to increase the density from six stories to uh, eight stories. And we're saying like, you know, nobody's going to build eight stories right or not sorry they want to increase the height allowance it's like because as soon as you go above six you're building out of concrete so if you want to make the economics work you got to increase that by almost double to make sense right so I, go and increase it to eight but, but nobody you will not see an eight-story building until you get that higher right um and so like they just don't they don't if you're not immersed in the private sector development world you don't have an understanding of how that works makes sense yeah I don't know that they care about the economics, right? I mean, they, they from our from our perspective, we think that they should because that's how it kind of gets done, right? But they don't care. It's like we want eight here. We think eight yeah. would look right, even though yeah. everything beside it is two right now. Eight yeah. is the number. Yeah. Forget yeah, about I, the I fact that a- yeah, six is built out of wood and costs half. Doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. Why don't they increase the height of wood to eight? Well, that's the Ontario Building Code, and that's a whole different story. I mean, I think that the Sidewalk Labs project was sort of supposed to set precedent on that, but you know, that was a, a disaster. So that was more uh, timber built rather than actual wood. Like, yeah, well, there was different. yeah, there was like tall timber and like a lot of like LVL stuff, and you know, just innovation. Like, because you see it in BC, right? Like, I think their height allowance for for timber structures is is quite a bit uh, better than here. 
So, um, I, yeah, I, I think uh, like everything you're talking about sounds like fairly easily. There, it seems that there's guys ready to go that could put a lot of supply on the market like relatively quickly. Yeah, but then you come into like other problems. Like you get guys who are assembling land in, in Georgina as an example. Like, and it's like, yeah, sure, you, all of your everything checks out, all of your zoning, et cetera. But now we don't have enough sewage allocation, right? So it's like you can't get enough shit in the pipes to to make that development worthwhile. So yeah, you're gonna have your zoning, but you can't build, or you can't. You could even build it. You could leave it vacant, though. You can't occupy until you get that allocation. You either have to pay for allocation units, or like you're seeing developers. And again, this is where the big guys come in handy, right? Because they have the resources to build their own pumping plants or upgrades, water and sewage systems. Um, and like, you know, we've, we saw it in, in the north end of Georgina where a developer basically fully upgraded the pumping system to get, I think, 350 units online. And, and maybe that added above and beyond what, what he was building for himself, maybe 50 to 100 allocation units. But that's only 50 or 100 more bathrooms and kitchens that you can, you know, put in into the secondary plan land. Like, it's not... It's not meaningful enough. Hmm. Yeah, that's the issue. And Toronto, and I, I think, think the other issue. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, like, when you think about sewage, the challenge is, like, in the GTA, you know, when you come to, back to these conservation authorities, even if you want to develop in, in you know, green, uh, like a greenfield land or, or, like, wipe out piece of land that, that you should be able to develop on that's rural, and you could sever it up and put a bunch of estate lots or whatever, you can't, in a lot of cases, if, if you're in conservation, you can't put a septic tank as an example. So you can't even really build without services infrastructure because they want to limit what kind, of, what kind of stuff is going into the groundwater, right? Like they want to try and limit contamination there. So it's just adding hoops to jump through when, but everybody is claiming that the ultimate goal is to get supply, right? So, so is there an, there's no end in sight for the supply constraint, right? I would say no, definitely not. Like, and, and I think like it, when you talk about other things that I'm worried about, it's like, you know, cr access to credit, inflation, uh, you know, wages being too low. And then I think like, you know, if bond yields continue to rise in an effort to cap inflation and we lose competitive, or we, we, you know, Canadian dollar increases against the U.S., manufacturing starts to slow, et cetera. That's sort of where that, that thesis about the U.S. getting that stimulus could, could kind of not really have create much value for us. Hmm. That sounds a little scary. Yeah, the macro is scary, man, honestly. Like, it's just whether or not, you know, consumer demand can, can continue to perpetuate this, this growth. It, like, at this point, it's just a consumer psychology mystery, right? Like, or will the, the fact that our economy is pretty shit and we don't have COVID under control actually eventually trickle into the housing market? It, it, so is everybody isn't... that you're seeing in Georgina buying right now end users? Yeah, I would say close to 100%. It's very, I, I was doing some investment stuff earlier in the year, but it's, I would say they've almost all exited. Like I'm, I'm doing in like portfolio purchases, like way out in the middle of nowhere. Like I, I think I've done like, I don't even know how many units in like Cornwall, right? Or like I have guys looking yeah. at like Kirkland Lake and shit like that. Cause that's where, that's how far you have to go to get a yield. Like I have, I have investors who are like, send me a six cap deal any time of the year and I'll buy it, right? And I, you can't find them. No. Right. Yeah. And, and Cornwall is as far from Montreal and Ottawa as Keswick, where I am, is from Toronto. Right. So. Yeah, it's tough. Um, Crazy. What so we're seeing in Toronto is we're seeing people speculating so that people are buying second houses. People are buying uh, flips. People are buying yeah. houses because the market's going up. Yeah. You're only seeing those people probably coming from Toronto 
moving up into Georgina or people moving around Georgina? What, yeah, what like the, there's a lot of, yeah, maybe. Probably around, both. Yeah, yeah, there's, I just say, I just think it's a lot of, it's, it's all small cap activity right now, right? Like your individuals, end users, whatever. Um, I'm not seeing like the big investors that I know that are, are purchasing and just slowly accumulating as many units as they can. They're not active right now. A lot, like I've had big investors, big, big, really smart guys that I trust selling. A lot of them are selling right now. Cause they're like this, the prices are amazing. I want to go reallocate my stuff elsewhere. Like, and I've had guys buying down South in the States or, you know, going to smaller markets in Ontario or all over, like a lot of guys going to Calgary. Right. The States is way so, better numbers. Like when you look at deals in the oh, States, yeah. It's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And there's, there's so many places that have these type of deals. Yeah. Like, and the credit environment's amazing. Like if you're a realtor, you go, you can go down to the States, get underwritten on your gross and buy with like 10% down and, and go pick off like five or 10, 10 caps that even if you're buying yeah, into a hundred percent of the rental income. Yeah. 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 It's a good, it's a good market. There, you know, so, so is there, I guess that's the stability that we have here, right? Like there's give and take, right? Like that's the, uh, we owe the 2008, nine, uh, great recession. And the, and the fact that we came through it to the stability in our lending policies and stuff like that too. So, sure. but now, now it's kicking us in the pants. So, well, so, but in an environment where you're always able and willing to continually print more money, which is not in any of the current logic right it's not in any of the actual theories where you just constantly print more money and everybody else around you is doing it simultaneously like you can't really apply normal economics to what's going on i don't think that there's a scenario where the entire world goes kind of socialist simultaneously and prints all the money that they can at the exact same time normally it's like you know zimbabwe's out there printing all the money they can and inflating themselves to death yeah. right it's not always everybody is printing you know a trillion bucks simultaneously yeah no, I would agree. I, I think at this point, you sort of just have to hope and pray that that MMT, um, modern monetary theory is, is correct, right? Because at that point, it's like, we've just seen deficit upon deficit. And apparently that money is supposed to be circulating in the economy, right? And so and it is but but, you know, all it takes is excessive hoarding or whatever it is for it. And I think that that's what we're seeing is to create disparity between those who have and don't have assets, right? Um, and then, you know, I mean, down the road, how much how much more problems does that create like i think you know the the new lockdown announcement in ontario seems like i mean i didn't think that we would see sort of social unrest in, in but you know you're seeing protesting you're seeing like a lot of pissed off people right and small businesses like 60 percent of them closed like i don't understand this doesn't seem like a place where people sh where houses should be increasing in value at the rate that they are yeah no nowhere but the everywhere is right all over the world. Everywhere like, around the world is. I talked to in North America, it's identical story. Has there ever been a situation where the U.S. real estate market was on fire and Toronto was down? Not, not from my knowledge. Maybe, We're, maybe in like the early '90s. I don't know. We're all too young for this question. I think not that, not that I'm young anymore. But you guys are young, but like I think we're all too young for that question. Is there? Is it even possible for that to happen? I guess if our interest rates were crazy, but ours are kind of fixed to theirs, aren't they? Kind of. Within reason, yeah. Like to to create a degree of you know parity between where where they want the dollar to be, but 
Um, yeah, I, the only example I could see where there, where I could think of where there was like a relative, I don't know, divergence between the two economies would be like the, the, the late eighties and early nineties. Um, but then that was just, I think that was more just like the difference in the, the, uh, speed of recovery of each one. Right. Like, cause they both sort of entered recession at the same period of time, but Canada had, you know, much worse impact on the real estate market. Deeper. But that's the opposite, I guess, of what you had asked. Yeah. What are we going to do about jobs? I mean, right now, unemployment, like I know that these numbers are probably temporary, but like, are we ever going to be going back down to 5% unemployment rate? Like, Did we get new job I, numbers that I don't know about? Well, I, I think the challenge too is like, you know, if you look at how their their response to trying to meet these immigration goals that they've they've set is actually to drop the CRS scores for skilled immigrants so that so it, the, the worst part there is like you're almost creating more problem because you're flooding the the labor market of that's already impacted by job loss so you're almost like you're creating more people in line for those jobs right so like i, I it's either from my perspective it's either like it's a k-shaped recovery and we see this massive disparity form in canada between the haves and have-nots of assets and we ultimately end up with a European style housing model where basically it's low home ownership, high institutional ownership, and a lot of renting in, in urban areas. Like if you look at Munich, like I think like 90% of people rent, right? Um, and then that's multi, it, it, ownership becomes a generational thing or things correct and you and create what would be a potentially a fair house, housing market for everyone. But then you kind of screw the boomers and their retirement savings, right? So we've literally arrived at what I would say is a lose-lose situation. Like there's no good way out of this yeah so in new in new zealand they're starting something new which they were the first ones to introduce the uh this is an article this week they were the first ones to introduce inflation targeting in the 80s yeah. and now their interest rates are not going to be based just off uh their target inflation they'll let inflation rise they'll also base it on their unemployment numbers as well too so they're going to try to stimulate the economy yeah. by keeping interest rates low not just to so they'll let inflation go up higher if they have to just to make sure that the uh, employment situation is going to uh, improve and if that comes to Canada and, and and the policy that we have here, which I think the U.S. has similar, um, that could end up impacting us because the job market I don't think is coming back. It's a weird thing to tie things to now when all of a yeah. sudden job markets exploded and expanded to basically anywhere you can draw talent from right now, right? So like to tie it to employment seems counterproductive. But what policies aren't? The, the challenge that Canada is going to have with that is that we don't like to tell the truth about inflation either, right? Like, exactly. And, and, and I don't know why that is. I would assume, I think a big part of it is our pension economy is, is such a meaningful part of it that forcing them to index at real inflation is going to create challenges for the, for the pension system as a whole. I, I, that was really the only reason. The CPI is other flawed. Than maybe the CPI is flawed. That's what it is. Super flawed. But like you yeah. can, they shift it to make it more flawed regularly, right? So it's like that that's where we're going to see some real challenges and then seeing like the uk and the us ramp up their immigration to compete at like what's more compelling right now to go if you're somebody who you go to toronto you go and you go to you know a couple of places in the uk across the us and then you go to like toronto vancouver or every canadian city and you try and buy a house and start your life and get a job where are you going to ultimately land right yeah why would you want to come here we've, yeah, got a gra we've got a graph that i don't know if we're going to show today or not but you both actually, you sent it to me and I saw it was on Daniel's Instagram. You want me to show that right now? Sure. 
Let me see if I can figure that this out. That the price is rising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oops. Right. So yeah, that's sound. actually yeah, that's a really good point. Is how do we attract the best immigration? The you know quote unquote the people Whoa. that we want to have here, um, when our house prices are so far out of control compared. Maybe to that's what they maybe they've they've tried to let the house prices be the barrier to entry. So it's like yeah, you can only come here if you can afford it. If so you can it afford better be rich right? and smart. Sticking right? up in yeah. Timmins or. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, hey, man, maybe that's a solution, right? Like I've been saying for a long time, like, you know, we got to start diversifying the Canadian economy and, you know, EVs require a lot of nickel, lithium ion, et cetera. Like Northern Ontario is a place that I'm pretty bullish on. Honestly. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Just for that one reason. That's, that's the only market I've been watching the Sudbury market. That's crazy. Yeah. 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 Sudbury's insane now. I mean, it's like a four and a half cap market. I've seen like three nine caps. Yeah, the yield's cut in half in the last 12 months. Yeah. I, I think you touched on it before. I've been talking about it for a while. I mean, I think the sooner people around here get used to the idea of renting, the better off they're going to be because it is sure. definitely going that way. Did you guys see the video? Everybody saw the video? We are growing at a pace. Yeah, well, it's on the screen. Oh, maybe you guys you're, didn't you're see it. You're not sharing the screen. Yeah. Well, you know what? Yeah. I, I, listen, everybody knows how technologically savvy. We're going to post it on savvy. our Instagram. Okay? We're going to post it on our the Instagram. The video. Now you got to go to the. No, you guys didn't see it, actually. The way I did it, it was on the screen, but you guys didn't yeah. see it. I apologize for that. But you guys know what it looks like. But basically, we've outpaced the rest of the world in our um, value of real estate considerably. Uh, over the last, what is it? 20 years since 2000. Now I gotta, I gotta wrap up here anyway, so you guys can toss it on after, but, uh, we're going to toss each other off. Later. So let's wrap it up here. So Dan, we, and it's at the end too. So thanks for reminding us. So, um, we want to know what, what is the solution? What is the, the, the best way out of the situation that we are in right now? And what do you think some of our listeners should do right now if they've got the money to buy or they're thinking about getting their first house or buying a rental? Where do you th see things? I would say find the cheapest place that you can rent uh, that's close in close, close proximity to work um, and learn how to live minimally and, and buy high yield investment properties somewhere far away where you can afford them. Like yield is how you make money in real estate. Speculation doesn't work. If you want to be a stock trader, trade stocks, right? Beautiful. That's, that's my answer to the question. And my answer to the government for, and it's too late for this solution, but how do you fix the market would be let it burn. But I think that it's probably too, too late for that too. That is a great, <laughs> great place to end it. Let this place burn. You know, you have to like it's an, at it's some like, point it's going to burn. I don't think it's going to be for a while, though. Like there's a lot of people interested in keeping this thing afloat. Yeah, and it seems like there's a lot of other people interested in letting them do what it takes to keep it afloat. So I think I would, we're going to be riding this wave for a while. It's going to be interesting and scary. And I think uh, I wanted to touch on this, but we don't have time. So we'll have to maybe talk time. to you another time. But it was great to meet you. Thank you so much Absolutely. for joining us today. Sorry, I had the, the cap there. I got to go and run and do some showings. And... No, no, it's no done. problem. Go sell some real estate. Perfect. That was great. Thank well, you, guys. Thank, thank you, you so much. We'll talk Happy to you Easter. soon. Have a good okay, Happy take Easter. it easier.
New on CuriosityStream. Have researchers figured out a mathematical formula for success? A clearer understanding of how success happens could lead us to change the rules. Gain a new perspective on getting ahead. It's science of success. And the U.S. won the space race, but not without help from the Nazis. They were just years ahead of us. Meet NASA's rocket scientists of the Third Reich on the moon landing and the Nazis. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com.